Paul continues his letters to the Church of Colossae as we read Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 to 14. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Amen. Ever since we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. That's what Paul tells the Colossians. And clearly, he is exaggerating here. But as you look at the richness of the language he uses in his prayer, you can catch a sense of why he spent so much time praying for them. When he was praying, he never used a sentence when a paragraph would do. When you boil it all down, his prayer basically is that they would know God's will and have the endurance and patience they need to live a life of good works that pleases God. That's it. That's simple enough. That's the gist of the prayer in just a couple of dozen words, concise and easy to follow. Paul takes four times that number of words to say what he wants to say in prayer for them. The logical sequence of his thought is actually quite hard to follow. He just piles up the language in one long, convoluted and rambling sentence and just actually lets his prayer wash over his readers so that they can bathe in his prayer for them. And what makes Paul's language language so lavish and so hard to follow at this point is that his focus isn't just on the Colossians and on their needs, his focus actually is primarily on the God to whom he is praying. Because that's what prayer is all about, actually. And when we pray to God and our, our focus is on God, then like Paul, that means that our prayer becomes filled with the language of worship. So he wants them to know what they ought to do. But rather than just praying, Lord, guide them and show them how to live, he prays that, that God would fill them with the knowledge of his will. Through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So that they might walk in a way that's worthy of the Lord and pleasing to him in every way. Bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God. And they'll need resources to do that. So he prays that they would be strengthened with all power according to God's glorious might. So that they might have great endurance and patience. And then for good measure there's a prayer where his morph is there's a good measure there's a bit where his prayer just kind of morphs into thanking God. Thanking God that he's qualified them to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. 
He's rescued them from the power of darkness and brought them into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom they have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And we stop there, but he just carries on into verses 15 and 20. The language of prayer just rolling on into a hymn of praise to Christ and we'll look at that in this evening service. It's like once he starts, he can't stop his prayers for these people spilling over into the language of praise. That makes this passage phenomenally difficult to preach on. It's like analysing a poem. And in the process of dissecting how it works, you end up killing all the poetry and all you're left with is, is bits and pieces. The power of the language almost lies as much in the effect of the words as the meaning of the words themselves. Paul's language is anything but functional. Functionality is about being practical and useful rather than attractive. Paul's prayers were definitely more flowery than functional. He doesn't just get on with it so he can cross praying for the Colossians off his list and move on to something else. His concern for them is what motivates him to pray for them. But as he prays, he gets caught up into worshipping the God to whom he is praying and all that is expressed in the richness of his vocabulary here. That's why I think some of us find prayer a bit daunting sometimes, because we look at how Paul prays, prays and think, God, I couldn't possibly begin to pray like that. So we think, oh, you know, I, I, I won't try then. But the, the secret, is, the secret is actually to be focusing upon God, not worrying about how you're going to pray. And sometimes focusing upon God leads us to quietness and adoration without words. The important thing is not what words you use. The important thing is the focus on God and what words those, that focus on God brings to your mind. Whether they be plentiful and flowery or few and direct. It's the focus on God that counts. Looking at Paul's prayer, there's a kind of toing and froing between his focus on God and his focus on those for whom he prays. He asks God to fill them with the knowledge of his will, so that they would walk worthily of the Lord and live a life of good works to please him. So the focus shifts back from their lifestyle to their knowledge of God and how he will strengthen them with all power according to his glorious might, so that they might have the great endurance and patience that they need. And then it's back to thanking God again for including them in the glorious inheritance of the saints in light, for rescuing them from the dominion of darkness and transferring them into the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom they have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Once you start to follow the train of Paul's thought, you get caught up in it and carried along and he simply doesn't give you space to get off. And to stop, because it just seems to carry on as his mind flows from one thing to another. But there is this movement between focusing upon the people, focusing upon the God to whom he's praying for them, back to the people again. And that's how prayer works. From the situation up to God, back to the situation again, because we are creating connections between God and the people for whom we pray. And he prays for them this way, because he wants them to be inspired as he himself is. If something is inspired, it is said to be of extraordinary quality, as if arising from some external creative impulse. I like that. If 
some external creative impulse from God enters our lives and our situations, then that makes us to be people of extraordinary quality if we are inspired by God. Or, if used of air of another substance, inspired means breathed in. And inspiration comes as we breathe in a sense of, of who God is. This God who has redeemed us. This God who wants to fill us with a knowledge of his will. This God who calls us to live our lives for him. And as the Colossian Christians are inspired by God, by their knowledge of God and his will for them, their lives will take on an extraordinary quality. Paul wants them to be inspired by the good news. The good news that God has rescued them from the kingdom of darkness. That God has brought them into the kingdom of his beloved son. That God has forgiven them and set them free. That's the good news. And as they are inspired by that, that good good news which all over the world is bearing fruit and growing, as Paul says, so they themselves will bear fruit and grow as well. They will bear fruit in every good work. They will grow in their knowledge of God. As they worship God, that they become inspired and their lives become gospel-centred. Because God's desire is that we should be people shaped by our worship of him. And the more we focus upon God in worship, the more God-like we become. The whole thing becomes a spiral. As we are filled with the knowledge of God's will, we are inspired to live lives that are pleasing to him. And as we live lives that are pleasing to him, we get to know God better and better, and so it goes on and on. But worship is the key. We don't worship God It all becomes drudge. Because the Christian life can only be lived as the Spirit of God inspires us with a sense of who God is and what he's done and how he empowers us to live for him. There are no half measures here. Paul prays that they will have all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that their lives will be fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, as they are strengthened with all power, for all endurance and patience. All those words piling up, it's it's, it's everything, all of it, all the time. It is full on for God, and full on for God's purpose for them. We can only lead extraordinary lives, as we are enabled to do so by an extraordinary God who inspires us. That's why Paul prays for the Colossian Christians with such confidence. Because he's overwhelmed with a sense of the greatness of the God to whom he is praying. So what does all this mean for us at the start of 2017? The year stretches ahead of us. Scarily for some of us. What it will bring our way is as yet unknown. God made us to be thinking, active beings. People who take responsibility for our lives. Life will not just happen to us this coming year. It is a life that we are called to live out ourselves. 
True, there can be times when we feel disempowered, caught up in a nexus of forces beyond our control, and we end up being simply swept along. But that's not how God wants it to be for us. That's why he sent his son, to rescue us from the dominion of darkness, where we are governed by fear or guilt, or where we're dominated by other people's wrong expectations of us. Once we lose control of our minds to these forces, we lose control of our lives and we end up being quite helpless. But through Christ, God sets us free from that. And God brings you into the kingdom of his son, whom he loves and who shares that love with you. In Christ, you have been redeemed. In Christ, your life belongs to God. You are not under anybody else's control or domination. In Christ, you have the forgiveness of sins. Whatever failures lie behind you in 2016, or even in the first week of 2017, depending on what kind of week you've had, those failures are forgiven. In Christ, you have the forgiveness of sins. That means you live your life in a state of forgiveness, not dominated by failures of the past. As Paul says elsewhere, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Whatever is on your conscience, Christ has dealt with it. Whatever has made your heart unclean, Christ has cleansed it. That's why he died on the cross, to do precisely that. And what's it like in the kingdom of God's Son as opposed to being in the kingdom of God's kingdom of darkness? In the kingdom of God's Son, you are redeemed, you are emancipated, you are set free. It's a kingdom of freedom and light, it's a good place to live. How do I live our lives in the kingdom of Christ? Our aim should be to please Him. But he hasn't given us a list of rules and regulations to follow, a long list of do's and don'ts. If you want to please the one who has redeemed you and given you life, you need to allow him to fill you with a knowledge of his will, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. You can't begin to live the Christian life if you don't get to know the God to whom your life belongs now. But the more you get to know God, the more amazing you discover God to be. And the more amazing you discover God to be, the more you open your life up to him in worship and praise. And the more you do that, the more you allow him to fill you with his wisdom and with his understanding. And it's those qualities of wisdom and understanding that enable you to perceive and figure out what his will is for your life. Guidance. Wisdom, come out of worship, come out of the relationship with God that he's made possible through his son, Jesus Christ. No one else, not even the ministers at Brighton Road Baptist Church, have the right or the authority to tell you what you need to do or to boss you around. Because that kind of domination has no place in God's kingdom. God is about equipping people with the inner resources of wisdom we need to live lives that will please him.
He expects us to take responsibility for who we are and what we do. But he gives us the wisdom to enable us to figure out what that is and the grace to forgive us when we get it wrong and his power to enable us to do what he calls us to do. And because of what God is like, a lifestyle that pleases him is going to be one that's worthwhile and productive. God wants you to know him more and more so that the way you live your life can get better and better. It's going to be tough. It's going to be hard work. But he wants to empower you with all the powerful power of his glory. And as he does so, you will have from him the patience and the endurance and the joy that you'll need to make it through whatever this year throws at you. Life in the 21st century can be tough, even in such a nice place to live as Horsham is. It's easy to let the pressures overwhelm us. And for church, our relationship with church to be just become one more item on a list of duties that weighs us down and wears us out. If that begins to happen, we can be in danger of losing sight of what God is really like and what a positive difference he can make to our lives. If you put him first, he's the one who can give you the resources to do everything else. Jesus said, didn't he? Seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness and everything else will come your way. To paraphrase the words, but capture the meaning. So my prayer for you, and I hope our prayer for each other, is the same as Paul's prayer for the Colossians, this time read for the contemporary English version. I pray that God will show you everything he wants you to do. And that you may have all the wisdom and understanding that his spirit gives. Then... You will live a life that honours the Lord and you will always please him by doing good deeds. You will come to know God even better. His glorious power will make you patient and strong enough to endure anything. And you'll be truly happy. I pray that you will be grateful to God For letting you have part in what he has promised to his people in the kingdom of light. God rescued us from the dark power of Satan. And brought us into the kingdom of his dear son. Who forgives our sins. And sets us free. Hallelujah. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, would you place deep within our hearts a sense of what you have done for us. That you've forgiven us. That you set us free. That we belong to you and nobody else. 
Thank you for the resources you give us. Wisdom. <coughs> insight. Understanding. May we be able to tune in to what you have to say to us and discover what your will is for our lives. And as we discover that, would you give us the, the patience and the endurance and the power we lack but which are available to us through your grace. When life crowds in and we feel overwhelmed, help us to look up and see you, the sovereign God, to whom we belong. And we pray that in us and through us, your will would be done. In Jesus' name. Amen.